1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how we love. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If we say we love God, yet hate a brother or sister, we are liars. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we have seen, We cannot love God whom we have not seen. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, most of you uh, likely recognize Bruce Lee, the Chinese martial artist who became known in America for his colorful characters that continue to be imitated even today, like Conan and Brian and Uma Thurman's characters. But before breaking out in Hollywood, Bruce Lee had actually made a much more significant impact in the world of martial arts. He was a trailblazer because he, in an era where uh, people kept within their disciplines, he was very liberal in 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 taking different disciplines and applying it to martial arts. Instead of just staying within his childhood discipline of Wing Chun Kung Fu, he drew from uh, sport fencing, and judo, and karate, and boxing. And when asked about his approach to martial arts, Bruce Lee has been famously quoted as saying this. He said, be water, my friend. Empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. You put water into a cup, it becomes a cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it into a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now, water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Be water. You know, adapt to a situation like water. And when he says this, we, I think we get it, right? Because we all know what water is like. We drink it, we bathe with it, we wash our hands with it, we admire it in oceans and waterfalls, we get energy from it, from electro, uh, hydroelectric dams. We enjoy doing sports in water. We have a good idea of what water is because we've all experienced water. So when he says, be water, my friend, I think we have, an, we, we have a good idea of what water is like. 
But in today's message, in our beloved series on 1 John, we hope to explore what it means to be love. Not to be water, but to be love, based on the fourth chapter in this letter that Ana Laura just read for us. Being love to others, being love for others, invites the same kind of adaptability that Bruce Lee highlighted in his quote in Be Water. And in this chapter, we find the oft-quoted verses like the ones we heard. You know, uh, for God, uh, it's from here. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And then verse 8 says, God is love. But the question for us is, and to ask ourselves is, do we know what love is? That means we know the nature, we have to know the nature of this love that we are called to be. And answering that, what love is, seems a little more difficult than answering what water is. We can only know what love is based on the kind of love that we have experienced for ourselves. And thankfully, Scripture paints a picture of love that we can experience. And in chapter 4, John unpacks the nature of this love that we are called to be. We can be love to reveal our lineage. We can be love to complete God's love. And we can be love to reflect fearless assurance. Reveal your lineage, complete your lo- God's love, and reveal, reflect fearless assurance. Now, as a parent, if, if one of my kids does something that I'm particularly proud of, I like to think, that's, that's my son. That's, that's my daughter. But if someone that, one of them does something that frustrates me, I'll say to Julia, that, that's your son. <laughs> that's your daughter. Isn't it so mature to attribute the admirable qualities of your children to yourself and the less admirable qualities to your partner? But I'm sure none of you do that, right? But even if you're not a parent, uh, we have all been children. And doesn't it frustrate us when we uh, say to ourselves, you know, I'm never going to be like my mom or like my dad and do this to other people. And then we find ourselves doing exactly what we vowed we would never do. You know, one's nature reveals one's lineage. Those born of God love like God. John begins with this passage uh, that I just read, reminding us, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Our ability to love is a reflection of our heavenly parent, the living God of the universe. God is the one who defines love. God's children model the supreme characteristic of God's love revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ. And of course, all humans have the ability to love because all humans bear the image of God. But here John is saying something specifically, that the status of your status as God's child enables you to love in a unique way that is reflective of the very nature of God. Earlier in the chapter, John addresses those who have left the church uh, in their denial of Jesus. These secessionists proved by their lack of love by withdrawing from Christian fellowship and thereby proved that they were not bearing the lineage of being God's children. Now in verse 8, we come to the you know, frequently uh, quoted verse, God is love. And often this verse is used to justify you know, any expression of love as completely divine in its source. 
And this verse can also be used as a bit of a a bludgeoning tool, self-righteous tool, uh, a self-righteous posture against people who don't appear to be as loving as you think they should be. For example, when someone says something that you don't like or, or you may not agree with, you automatically wonder, is this person, this person calls himself a Christian? See, the danger with this simple phrase of these three words is that we have two opportunities to make false assumptions. In that phrase, God is love. We can assume we understand what love is, and we can also assume we understand who God is. You can, when you assume who God is and what love is, you can end up being neither godly or loving. And when we assume the definition of love, it reveals that we neither know the nature of love nor the nature of God. We can't understand the definition of love on our own. It has to be shown to us. God is love is not an it's a theological word, ontological statement or philosophical word about what God is in God's essence. And it's wrong to assume that any act of love is attributed to God's being. Rather, this statement of God being love refers specifically to God's loving nature revealed in the saving action on behalf of humanity in the person and work of Jesus. In 1 John 4, 8 to 10, uh, verse 8, God is love, is supported by verses 9 to 11 here on the screen. God's love is defined in the atoning work of God's Son, Jesus. And if we imagine love without the cross, then our love is just a faint shadow of what true love is, true and godly love. And this is what Jesus did. He defined love for us. See, love has an objective reference in history that is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Yet many of us who call ourselves followers of Christ often fail to follow Jesus' life and mission of love to influence our understanding of how we love others well. And for many of us, we, we, like, we think of love as, as maybe one of three things. Love as blind acceptance. You know, God does love us no matter what we've done, no matter what shame we carry, and no, what mistakes, or no matter what mistakes that we have made. But it's not necessarily blind acceptance. See, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And despite what we have done, God's love changes us to be people that God has created us to be. Love is not blind acceptance, and neither is love just good feelings. You know, God's love does bring us comfort. It does bring us assurance. But God's love also has, elicits conviction and sorrow and desire for change. So there's a healthy discomfort in God's love for us. Love is also not an absence of tension. We often think that, hey, if I'm loved, I will feel there's no tension in my life. God's love does grant us peace. God's love does give us comfort, but it does not always relieve tension in our lives. In fact, it sometimes can increase the tension by loving and wooing us to a life of holiness and peace. You know, we are right to understand and expect God to be love, but we can often be wrong to assume that we know what that love is like. And as one pastor put it, he says, God is love doesn't mean what you think it is. 
It means what God thinks it is. It means what God demonstrates love to be in Jesus. God is love doesn't mean what you think it is. God's love, it means what God thinks it is. And Jesus clearly calls out sin at, some, at, at times. And other times, Jesus does not. Sometimes Jesus speaks boldly and sternly. But other times, Jesus is silent when we don't expect him to be. Jesus' love is stern and strict. But many times, it's also very tender. Anne Mateer is a Christian blogger, and uh, she writes this, Love doesn't focus on making the path easy. Love determines to lead us to a worthwhile destination. That worthwhile destination is the full embrace of our being, God's children. And Jesus demonstrates the paradox of the seriousness of God's love, but also the tenderness of God's love that forms us to be more fully as God's children. Now, in these verses, we come to the rather interesting statement. If we love one another, God's love is made complete in us. And you think, well, how does that work? And sometimes it's helpful when we interpret Scripture to maybe flip the statement to the negative. So in this case, we might say, if siblings in Christ love, don't love one another, then God doesn't live with us, and God's love is not made complete in us. Or that God's love is not complete until God's children love one another. But both of these seem a little bit wrong, intuitively, because that suggests that God's presence and God's love depends on us as humans. And it's helpful if we notice what the Apostle John is concerned about in his gospel. And there, you see throughout the gospel of John, like in chapter 1, he says, no one has seen God. Chapter 5, he says, and the Father has sent me, who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have not, never heard his voice, nor seen his form. Chapter 6, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. You know, John's point here is that while no one can have claimed to see God or have to known God except Jesus, the believers who love one another demonstrate that they have seen the unseen God living in them. And he wants to reassure the, his readers, the church, that they really do know God, despite what these secessionists, secessionists these false teachers, were telling them. Those influenced by Gnosticism, this is a theme if you've been following in the in this series that John is addressing. They were leading God's children astray by telling them that God is too mysterious and too unknowable, except by some mysterious, mystical revelation taught by these false teachers. And if you didn't have that, you couldn't be assured that, you, that God lived with you or that you knew God. But here John is saying, you want to know that God lives in you? You want to know that God loves you? Well, it's evidenced in the way that you love one another. Your love for one another should give you assurance that God lives in you. And that leads us to the last statement in these, in these verses. God's love is made complete in you. Now, this statement doesn't mean that God's love is incomplete without God's children loving one another. That would suggest, again, that God is dependent on someone else for God's character to have an effect. But then, if that was the case, then God would no longer be God. 
If God is to be God, God must be all-sufficient. And in the context of this passage, this statement, God's love is made complete in us, indicates the destiny, that, that, this, that the circuit of God's love reaches its destination when God's children love one another. Just like a 400-meter sprinter who completes the full loop of the track, God's love finishes what God's love intended to do when God's children love one another. It's completed. It's, it reaches its goal. That's what God's love is meant to do for us. God's love isn't just to make us feel good uh, and to feel love. God's love is intended to have ch- God's love move through God's children out through the world. And in revealing God's character to the world, it accomplishes God's will in the world. It's the children of God doing what God's children are created to do, to make God known in their love for one another. So what does this, you know, practically look like? In many ways, God enables God's children to do things that we would not be able to do because we have an understanding or a, an experience of something called grace. This week, Julie and I were chatting about our interactions with different people that we've met over the years. In our experience of God's grace and love towards us means that we try to be generous with our, what we have. So we'll invite people to our homes, and our, homes are, our home is always open and to, for meals and inviting people along for activities. We don't expect people to return that, those uh, gestures. But if our guests do, then we welcome that and we appreciate that. But it's not expected. And often I find that's the case with other followers of Christ, to give and to receive with the same kind of generosity. And occasionally, when we expend, extend hospitality and generosity to new friends who may not consider themselves to be followers of Christ, I've noticed that their response often feels like they need to return a favor. If we invited them over for a meal, then they feel like they should invite us for a meal back. If we invited them uh, for, to join us in an activity, they feel like they obliged that, they, that we should be invited to an activity together with them. And often that's the way the world works in love. We, it's reciprocal. But when we understand God's grace extended towards us, we realize that you can't measure it and you can never repay it. It's something we simply receive and be grateful for. And that grace compels us to do the same for others with no expectation for a returned favor. That's what grace is. It comes from the cross. Because on the cross, we see that, you know, that what is grace? If you, you're wondering what it is, I found this to be very helpful, and I've probably repeated it before. Now, judgment says, you get what you deserve. You do something wrong, you get what you, your just deserts. Mercy says, you don't get what you deserve. But grace says, you get what you never will deserve. That's what grace is. And when we see God's grace extended towards us on Uh, and to all of humanity on the cross, that informs our day-to-day interactions where we say, I can love generously, I can give generously without expecting repayment. You know, when we love one another, God's love is made complete, is made perfect. It completes the circuit in our love for one another. We reveal our lineage. We, and, and, and lastly, we can be love to reflect a fearless assurance. Now, wouldn't it be, make such a difference, I think most of us would agree, if 
everyone in the world could just be a little bit more loving, right? Well, if every single human being could just be a little bit more loving, I think the world would change. We'd be a little less antagonistic, a little less selfish, a little more caring and compassionate and considerate for others. But being more loving is different from be the call to be love. To be more loving requires more from us. It requires humility and sacrifice and thoughtfulness and compassion. Being more loving is something that one does. But to be love is something that one is. If you've been tracking the message so far today, this invitation to be love is also an invitation to be godly in our, lo- our love for one another. And as John has been unpacking in this letter, godly love is most evident on the cross of Christ. John is inferring something here. To be love, and in particular to be godly in our love, is not something that we can do on our own. To be love is rooted in the activity of God that has affected who we are at, it, at our cores. For us to be love comes only f- from our response to God's work in our lives. It is grounded in this fearless assurance of God's love for us. And that's why John says in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. You know, God's love is fearless. Not because God's children are particularly brave or because we've mustered up enough courage for ourselves. The fearlessness is not grounded in our character or in our abilities or our emotional health or our mental strength. The fearlessness comes from knowing that we are God's simply because of what God has secured for us in the cross. God's children experience fearlessness because they have been recipients of God's gracious activity and therefore have assurance in this life and in the life to come. Death no longer holds its grip on God's children as it once had. When we experience fear of separation or rejection in a human relationship, we forget that we have been saved from ultimate separation in a relationship with the living God. When we fear a part of our, that our part of our lives might be disclosed to someone, we're afraid of what they might think. We're forgetting that God already knows every part of us, and he knows us better than we know ourselves, yet God still loves us. When we experience fear of the future or fear of insecurity or of the unknown, we forget that God already holds our future. You see, every fear that we experience points to what we might fear most in life. Whether or not we acknowledge God consciously, most of what drives us in life is running away from our fears or running for love. We're driven in our careers because we're afraid of being seen as unsuccessful. And we want to be recognized because we want to be loved. We follow our sex drives uh, from, uh, from one relationship to another, whether it's a hookup or whether it's a porn video, because we're afraid of being alone. And we want to feel intimacy and love. But on the cross of Christ, we are reminded that we aren't alone. We are loved. We are forgiven. The mistakes 
that we've done or the abuses that have been done against us and the shames that we carry, we think that they define us and our stories, but they in fact don't. God's love and God's wholeness are offered to all who would respond in trust and obedience to Jesus. We are made for love. We are made for God's love. And we are made for God's love to be complete in us. We are made to be love. You know, we as a faith community aspire to love well. And we hope to love because that's what we believe God has called us to be. And as we read from John's letter, the love of God's children is more than just sentimentality and warm feelings. It's more than just generous action. The love of God's children for one another reveals our lineage as God's children. It accomplishes something in completing God's love and action in the world. And it reflects a fearless assurance. All of these qualities of godly love are found and grounded in God's gracious and loving action on the cross. So go and love one another boldly and generously to the glory of God. Amen.